0: Welcome to Industry Focus,
1: the podcast
0: that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day.
1: I'm your host, Emily Flippin.
0: I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today, we're talking financials.
1: Today, we're talking consumer goods.
0: Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today, we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, July 21st. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on this week's Wild Card Show, we'll dig into earnings reports for Intuitive Surgical and Chipotle We'll also hear a little bit more about a couple of stocks our guests think you need to have on your radar. Speaking of guests, joining me today it's two of our five star investing interns here at the Fool this summer, Zane Frasek and Graham Heatterly. Guys, thanks for jumping in the mix and joining the show this week.
1: Thanks for having thanks for us having us, Jason.
0: Yeah, well, so hey, let's jump right in here because it's earnings season. We're, we're right it right in the middle of it now. I mean, we've got a lot of great companies reporting, uh, and that's going to continue here for the next few weeks. But a couple of companies reported uh, yesterday after the market closed. Uh, a couple of companies that a lot of our a lot of our listeners are very familiar with: uh, Intuitive Surgical and Chipotle, of course. Let's start with Intuitive Surgical. In Zane. You look at the stock today is relatively flat. Um, it's it, it certainly uh, performed very well here over the last several years and, and hitting another 52 week high. But Intuitive Surgical reported some very impressive results here for its most recent quarter. They exceeded expectations all the way around. But what, it, what stood out to you in the numbers?
2: Yeah, Intuitive's continuing to prove that they're, they can de risk the investment in the future of surgery, proving that they can be a resilient company, even in the face of the global pandemic, uh, while growing their other channels of business as well. So you set it all around very, very uplifting quarter for the company. Um, and it's a company that I like personally, because you don't have to be a healthcare expert to understand it. Um, and generally, you know, in the healthcare industry, you're thinking of um, biotechs, pre revenue, super risky companies for to capture that growth. Um, but here's an opportunity to get double digit growth, Every year for the foreseeable future without having that uh, expert knowledge to understand it. Um, so, to get into the earnings a little bit, the revenue uh, was $1.46 billion, up 72% for the year um, wow. and 13% since the last quarter. Um, so, pretty solid numbers. I um, will try to stick to the last since last quarter comparison uh, just because it's such an easy comparison from a year ago during the pandemic. Um, Their business was hit pretty hard in the second quarter. Um, But on the bottom line, their earnings grew over six folds since last year, and their procedures on their systems grew roughly the same amount. Um, And now this is their ninth earnings beat uh, in a row, and not by a slim margin either. 24% beat this quarter and 35% last quarter. Uh, Really strong trend. Um, They've also installed 328 systems this quarter, up 10% from last quarter. Um, And some of the numbers that I really want to point out are that 38% of the installations were trade-ins. This really shows that their business is from repeat customers as well. These are customers that have seen the the instruments, seen the systems, and actually had a chance to use it. And then been like, this is it. This is what we want. We're going to come back for it um, just because it's that good of a product. And then on top of that, the procedures per system is up 11% over the last quarter. So this is important to their business because even if there's no more installations, the revenue can grow. There's more procedures. They're using up more of the, uh, the consumables um, that they're selling to go with them, the instruments. Um, yeah, I that's- think
0: that's, that's a great point that you make there in regard to the instruments and the, the, uh, the accessories, right? Because I think that, to me, I mean, I, I think you said it so well, they de-risk Right, that healthcare investments in the healthcare space. And part of that, I think, it's, it's. I mean, the technology is phenomenal. I mean, right, those DaVinci systems are second to none. Uh, in, in, in the razor and blade business model that we love so much, where you install that equipment and then you keep selling those instruments and accessories, I mean, it, it, it's not surprising, I think, for, for most of us to see the stock is up over 300% over the last five years. Um, I, I mean, how do you feel about this company? You made reference to to last quarter, just just sequentially, right? Not year over year, but looking at the last quarter, and it, and it, I mean, beating beating the expectations from last year, from a year ago, not too terribly difficult given the situation that we that we were in. Um, but I mean, let's talk about what this company is doing so well. I mean, that's a really interesting point you made there, in, in people really trading up, right? I mean, that that to me is almost a sign that they are really making that long term commitment to being in that intuitive surgical universe.
2: Yeah, they're doing a lot of things right. Um, and for some perspective on that, uh, management is really being, holding themselves accountable. Right? In 2019, based on their projections, uh, they thought they would grow about 17% a year um, in terms of procedure volume. Uh, they're exactly where they would have been uh, or where they thought they would be absolute COVID. So management has done a great job um, predicting what, what their growth is going to be like. Um, they've known they're going to do well. But uh, a lot of listeners probably know a lot of the advantages advantages of Intuitive, like their intellectual property and how strong their business model is. But I want to talk about something a little bit less apparent, um, and that's actually their software and the consistency huh. that they're updating the software. They're at about uh, an average of three updates per year since 2014. Um, and these software updates are really bringing more, valuable, more value to the end customers, like the Physicians and the patients, uh, but it's also simplifying processes and adding functionality with every update.
0: Yeah, that's that's. I mean, I guess what they're saying is true, right? Software software is eating the world. If you 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 can be you can be great at what you do, but if you're not continually evolving and iterating that software, becoming something more, becoming something better. I mean, it just feels like there's so many competitors out there in the space ready to come in there and and eat your lunch, so to speak. So, it really does speak to uh, not only the benefits of having that big installed base, but continuing to iterate how you use that installed base. Um, And and, and yeah, to me, it, it, it does feel like this is a company that just continues to establish itself as the leader in the space. Now, with that in mind, I mean, there are no every every investment has some level of risk right i mean what what are you is there something that you feel like investors need to be keeping an eye on in regard to, to intuitive surgical going forward something that maybe concerns you or something that you'll be you'll be watching
2: yeah uh generally short term risk though um i'm a fan of the company it's sometimes hard to find things uh wrong other than saying hey this is a you know generic market risk <laughs> competition um or you know commodity prices and things like that um But some smaller short-term risks that I thought about uh, would obviously be the pandemic. Um, It's still on their radar for sure. It's come up a lot of times in their earnings report. Um, And the resurgence could fill up hospitals pretty quickly. And that would push back elective surgeries um, as their normal customers and patients can't come into the hospital. Um, And then the competition is worth mentioning. Medtronic and Striker aren't just going to lay down and let them continue to basically monopolize the US market for the uh, surgical robots. Uh, So there are definitely some players to look at that could eat into their margins a little bit um, or kind of break down the pricing power
0: yeah. The, uh, I like how you noted those are more near-term or short-term risks, and, and that as Foolish investors, as, as investors who take the longer view, those are those are a little bit easier to stomach. Um, another thing that has been in the headlines, another, another item that's been in the headlines recently that seems to be spanning uh, industries of all sorts, we've heard a lot about the semiconductor shortage, a lot about potential inflation costs going up. Did they mention anything on the on the conference call regarding uh, that that situation? Is that something that's impacting this business today?
2: Yeah. Short answer for inflation uh, is no. They didn't really mention it. I wouldn't be too worried personally because they have such strong pricing power. Um, but they did mention the semiconductor shortage. Um, but at the same time, they have a lot of safety stocks for their yeah. uh, critical components um, and their instruments. So. The shortage would have to be pretty bad to affect them, but they're not immune.
0: No, no, they're not. Uh, but it is nice to know that they, uh, like us, have, have been saving for a rainy day. It seems like they're going into this pretty well prepared, uh, which should be encouraging to investors. And I guess last question here. I I feel like I may know the answer, but I gotta ask you anyway. I mean, is this a business you feel like investors should be should be owning today? I mean, is this a stock that is still Given its track record of success, given all it's done over the past five and 10 years, do you feel like this is still a business worth buying today?
2: I think yes, uh, regardless of the fact that it's up, you know, 300% um, over the last year or so. It's, it's a stock that I like because it's growing without a lot of risk, in my opinion. Uh, that said, it does get a high valuation in the markets because of that. Um, but let's think about why that is. Like they're, they're providing so much value, uh, whether it's the patient. Uh, where you're getting less scarring, quicker recovery, um, less infection risk, and things like that. Um, Or you're the physician, where you're using less tools, it's quicker, and it's even easier to learn all new machinery. Uh, And on top of that, they have some incredible market share, especially in the U.S., because of their intellectual property, because of their repeat customers, um, and just how much people like their, their brand and their product. And then lastly, they're in a really good financial position, uh, they have a clear runway to increase their offerings even more and optionality which is really important uh, they can easily spin off new instruments even new systems they're working on two, um, on expanding their uh, distribution for two newer systems now the ion um, which is for long biopsies right. <laughs> and then another one which is a single port system um, so just expanding more beyond the da vinci uh, system that everyone knows and loves
0: Yeah. Love to see companies leveraging their core competency, and it certainly feels like Intuitive Surgical is doing just that. Uh, Okay. Graham, Chipotle, uh, I mean, to say they reported another strong quarter, I feel like isn't quite doing it enough justice. I mean, this was another really, really impressive quarter. In uh, another stock hitting a fifty-two week high, the stock is up anywhere from ten to twelve percent today, uh, thanks to these results. And, and it looks like again, just like Intuitive, uh, Chipotle beating expectations soundly on both the top and bottom lines. Uh, you follow this company. How did these numbers look to you?
1: Well, Jason, you know from the sentiment, from the earnings transcripts, as well as I think a lot of investors who study Chipotle uh, in great detail. Uh, They smashed out of the ballpark. Uh, (laughs) This this was quite a home run for them. Uh, And seeing what the expectations they set for themselves, uh, they surpassed them. Um, But we're all familiar with Chipotle being a very innovative, fast, casual restaurant. Um, They've been improving their dining experience, even during the pandemic. And it's been a lot kind of geared towards their business model, being able to get your food quickly in line, uh, which makes sense uh, in a pandemic where food can be Uh, prepared in a short amount of time and given out to customers. But uh, one thing they've done really well during this quarter was uh, increasing their delivery channels. Now, they've always made a little bit of money uh, from their uh, delivery service, whether that be like DoorDash or Uber Eats. Um, But they've done a fantastic job of installing uh, Chipotle lanes, as they're called, Uh, (laughs) which are these little (laughs) drive-through services that allow customers to pick up their food. Um, but jumping into a little bit of their like key numbers that really, really were impressive this quarter, um, the revenue increased 38.7%, nearly 40% this wow. past quarter in comparison to quarter one. Uh, and they have about $1.9 billion in revenue. Um, and when you take a look at a lot of restaurants. It's important to get a good sense of uh, if people are staying with the company and if they continue to go back and uh, buy food. So one metric we use to look at that is their comparable restaurant sales. Yeah, And what they had predicted would be about 30% in quarter one actually became 31.2% in quarter two showing how they were a bit conservative in their estimates of how well um, they've been able to keep people uh, same in store sales. Um, but, you know, another, I guess, key thing to really look at is their digital sales growth as it's grew about 10 and a half percent in the past quarter and that digital sales, also in part due to the pandemic, um, makes up almost about fifty percent of their their total sales revenue. Um, and that's uh, really impressive when you think about. This is a restaurant that
0: just a few years back. I mean, this is let's look at this stock. I mean, this again, like Intuitive Surgical. I mean, these are two peas in a pod today. This is a stock that's up close to three hundred percent over the last five years. Clearly, they've been able to put these food safety issues of the past behind them. I mean, that's that's going to be a perpetual risk for restaurants, but but to see, and and I I think a lot of this is attributable to new leadership, right? I mean, I think I think that's that's part of the story for sure. But the investments they made so early on in digital in the app, uh, I mean, I don't understand how in this day and age you can prosper, not just restaurants, just just business in general. You need you need some app game, right? You better have a good app. Uh, because that's where business is being done. And, and clearly, Chipotle has been no exception. I mean, let's, let's talk about the things that they've been doing so well here because you mentioned a few of them there, but let's dig into that digital sales a little bit and, and, uh, and talk about why they're being so successful. What are the things that Chipotle is doing that's just keeping, keeping this ball rolling?
1: You know, and it's an interesting point you bring up with digital sales. And I, I agree with you in some part that with a lot of consumer and retail companies, whether it be a Walmart, a Target, or a McDonald's, they need to have some sort of digital infrastructure there to keep their customers interested. Yeah. Um, and a lot of these companies, and Chipotle is no stranger, has their loyalty programs, which are on these apps, and uh, you can get special menu offerings. So one clever thing they did this quarter that I think really intrigued consumers was adding uh, a customizable quesadilla. Ah, and yes <laughs> I think uh as yeah as delicious as it is, I think this really um you know uh increased app usage um, among uh customers who are looking at Chipotle and it's it's just it's really like spurred some amazing numbers um you know, with with the increase of their digital sales, which I continue or which I expect to continue into the future um they've been able to increase their earnings per share, which were previously negative to about six point six uh dollars, which is crazy sure. um and also their margins are double digits being about 13% um and over the the span of all this you know digital sales revenue they they've been able to like use some of that money and invest it into the creation of new restaurants uh and including about 56 that they added uh, in the quarter and 45 of them were about those Chipotle lanes I talked about yeah so i would say that the three things that really have pushed them and to making them the cultural staple that they're known as has been keeping fresh menu items like the quesadilla, uh, increasing customer loyalty through their programs and through the digital app that they've been providing. And finally, um, and in some part, there's a little intangible uh, benefit of uh, things like TikTok and Instagram and social media. Uh, really promoting them and giving them free advertisement as a lifestyle brand. <laughs> the lifestyle brand. I love it. I mean, we saw Starbucks so many
0: years ago try to become that lifestyle brand. It's almost like if you state you want to become a lifestyle brand, that's the death blow. But if you just kind of let it happen organically and let, let the consumer dictate that term and say, hey, this is a lifestyle brand, you can actually kind of pull it off. It seems like Chipotle has really benefited from that. And, and to put some numbers, I, I couldn't believe when I read the call, a year ago, uh, 15 million loyalty club members. Right, 15 15 million loyalty rewards members. This quarter, a year later, I think they're sitting at 23 million now, which is just really really impressive for a business that really just just a few years ago had had no real major digital presence, had no real loyalty program. I mean, they've some, made some investments in this and really really committed to it, and, and it's clearly paying off. Um, I mean, so many things going well for this business what What could go wrong here? I mean, what's what do what are you keeping your eyes on here going forward as a potential headwind or problem? or or is there anything really on your agenda there?
1: Yeah, and, and as all investors here at the Motley Fool, uh, we'd be fooled if we didn't look at the risks of <laughs> some of these uh, investments. but um I would uh, I think there's really two things that pose potential headwinds for uh, Chipotle going into the future. Um, And once begin with the labor shortage, Uh, unfortunately, due to the pandemic, uh, a lot of restaurants have been struggling to keep their workers uh, interested in working there, uh, even after some of these uh, uh, conditions uh, start to subside. And they've taken some action to kind of uh, go against that, but uh, they have increased their minimum wage to $15 for all the current employees. And for new employees, it stays at about $11. And also they really struggle with uh, keeping employees there wanting to go into management to yeah. be other uh, managers. And they've seen a, a huge uh, kind of downturn right around the pandemic of people wanting to step up into those roles. And they've been looking to fill that in. Now this is an industry wide um, trend. And I think they've been taking the right corrective steps. Uh, and their kind of their status as a fast casual restaurant, I think lends a little bit more to the idea that people who work there won't be making um, pennies on the dollar and you know, uh, not a livable wage, but I think management's paying a specific focus to their employees and starting to reinvest some of these, you know amazing profits that they've had in the past two quarters into their uh, own people. Now the second thing I think could be a potential headwind for them is uh, inflation. Wow. Uh, when <laughs> it's been happening a lot with the pandemic, but the price of beef itself has gone up about 2.4%, while uh, the rest of the uh, food price index has been hovering around 2% as well. Um, And this can be a little bit alarming since a lot of the food that Chipotle provides are fresh ingredients. They make sure that they're using quality ingredients. So their supply chain is integral to the success of the business. Um, And they've taken and been able to mitigate some of their uh, risks when it comes to some of those costs. Uh, but continually I, I would keep my eye on at least the price of beef and the price of avocados as those are two very energy intensive uh, ingredients that um really can be costly for a business. No, but- absolutely. It feels like they're they're
0: I don't know their guacamole affords them a little pricing power, it feels like. I, I can't I can't eat a Chipotle without getting a guacamole. I mean that's that's guacamole is, is equates to pricing power in my world, but maybe maybe I'm wrong. Um, real quick before we wrap this up. Graham, do you have a go-to menu item for Chipotle? You're ordering dinner from Chipotle tonight. What are you getting?
1: <laughs> so uh, to add a little bit to what I was saying before, but uh, so <laughs> in price, it, it, as of June, um, prices have increased about four percent. So you know, uh, all my friends, uh, like I said, it's a lifestyle thing. We all have our Chipotle order price memorized, and it's actually <laughs> increased uh, in the past month or so. Uh, to combat infl- inflationary effects but my go-to order is you got to go with the burrito bowls they'll fill you up but I always get some rice I get some black beans I'll put some um, fajitas in there chicken and I'm like you Jason I got to have guacamole in it cheese sour cream corn all the stuff that doesn't cost extra and you have a very tasty burrito bowl I'll uh, um, take care of you for
0: the day. This will take care of you for the whole day. That's right. What about you, Zane? You're ordering Chipotle for dinner tonight. What are you getting?
2: Man, so we have a local kind of chain in Delaware called El Diablo.
0: Uh-oh, we're they, talking about the competition risk here, Graham.
2: Don't <laughs> <laughs> but I've only been to Chipotle one time. I've been to El Diablo a million
0: very interesting. All right. Well, then, Graham, that speaks to, your, speaks to your, uh, your, your competition risk there. We definitely want to keep an eye on that. They're not the only ones out there slinging some great Mexican food, that's for sure. Uh, guys, recently, one of the things we ask our investing interns to do every summer, is to put together a couple of stock pitches to deliver our to deliver to our investing team, and we're talking anywhere from fifteen to twenty, sometimes thirty folks, depending on uh, availability. So it is a pressure-packed situation. It's not easy to do. Uh, you both recently pitched your first ideas to the team, and I want to say first and foremost, you did an awesome job. I mean, I, I just was I was not surprised. I've Been working with you all summer. I was not surprised, but I was thoroughly impressed. Uh, but wanted to give a chance, uh, give you a chance to talk a little bit about those pitches today to our. Listeners, uh, to to talk to our listeners about why you pitched those ideas to the team. Uh, Zane, you pitched Tesla. I think most people have probably heard of it. Uh, a polarizing business, if nothing else. Everybody seems to have an opinion. Um, what was it that led you to pitch Tesla? Because clearly, when you pitched it, you're very passionate about
2: this company. Extremely passionate about this company, (laughs) Um, and it's only been getting, um, more and more. Um, but yeah, what led me to pitch this company and led my, my thesis um, was from a wise man, John Rattanti here uh-huh. at the school. He said, when I talked to him, Tesla could be anything, could be bankrupt in 10 years, could be that Wally company that makes everything and controls the <laughs> world in 10 years. Um, and he'd believe, believe anything. So, but I think I. I land more on the more valuable side of the spectrum from where I think Tesla is going to end up. Uh, Maybe not for any scientific reason, um, but I have a lot of optimism for them um, because of their track record. They've shown that they can do these really difficult things. um, And that's one of the pillars of my thesis as well is the engineering talent there, uh, second to none. Um, And they do these really bold projects in-house. They take on challenging things um, and they realize that They don't want to just stamp their brand on something. They want to have a difficult project and do it because then they deserve the value for it. Um, I think it's a great mindset to have on top of that. Like I said, with the engineering talent, they consistently rank uh, in the top five or 10, if not the, um, number one place where engineering graduates want to work. Yeah. So that leaves the competition with the rest basically. And Tesla has the best engineering talent. Um, And then people love the brand. They just have an absolute cult following. Um, People pretty much buy anything, whether it's Tesla Kila or those little um, (laughs) baby Tesla cars. Um, And then there's the optionality as well. Like they have the best products, in my opinion. You saw Jay Leno with the AC on in a four door sedan beat the quarter mile time for a production car, (laughs) which is just an absolute flex of engineering. but on top of what they have now, they have plans to take on all of the forms of terrestrial transport, maybe even move into HVAC um, and other things. There's really no telling. Um, and I think they've been chosen as a winner by the markets. People are realizing they operate in only markets that they're disrupting, um, You know, trying to take on utilities and energy and renewable power and trying to take on the legacy automakers who kind of... Kind of lost out on the first mover advantage in electric vehicles.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, to your point there, in in regard to going any which way, I've always, I've always said, you know, I, I don't, I don't own a Tesla. I mean, I, I absolutely appreciate the fact this is the direction the world's headed, and I, I, I look forward to buying an electric vehicle one day. But man, if they just made some some killer battery powered lawn equipment that would be so great I mean we have all of that here at our house now the battery powered lawn mower and weed whacker and blower but man I, I, I just know Tesla could, could make it better I, I would be in on that so fast
2: <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised and, and that's a problem like um, lawn equipment lawn mowers are producing orders of magnitude more pollution than vehicles like the cars can yeah. tonight which is just crazy
0: very, very believable, uh, Graham. You pitched Bumble, another very interesting idea, particularly in this day and age. And this, you know, this captured my attention. And part of that is just because I grew up in a different time where this just didn't even exist. Uh, but but now you've got Bumble, which is playing in this online dating space. But but it's got you know it, it has its own sort of of differentiator that makes it unique. What was it that
1: led you to pitch Bumble? You know, and. Uh, <laughs> Being uh in quarantine for quite a bit for some of my college career, uh, I guess I I had to by necessity turn to dating apps. But uh this um this is it country, working out for you? <laughs> I can only say only positive things about it. But uh, that's good, that's good. Um, but it, it's just it's like when they IPO this past February, very interesting for two reasons: being around Valentine's Day and being right at the front of the pandemic, which I think has set them up to really be, you know, a, just a great business to, uh, to really look at. Um, but one thing that Bumble does that other dating apps, uh, specifically the ones owned by Match batch group like Tinder or like, OkCupid, okay is they kind of flip the whole dynamic upside down. And instead of what are lots of these online dating apps filled with many, many guys, right. And a lot Thirsty of women. dudes, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, a lot of the women, uh, you know, th- just by sheer numbers are just um, disproportionate to the amount of men on these apps that they're not very interested in, you know, keeping or, uh, you know, staying uh, retained on these apps. But what Bumble does differently is that it's almost uh, they make it a rule for the woman uh, to make the first move and switch the whole pickup line uh, <laughs> thing there, um, which I think is a fantastic uh, philosophy to that Um you know, kind of going a little bit into the company, um, Bumble itself was spun out of uh, Tinder having one of its founders, Whitney Wolford, uh, who went in and uh, disagreed with some of the, uh, Tinder's management and also had a lawsuit filed against them. But it's an incredible story where she went and founded another company that went to grow its market share uh, literally twice as much from 10% to almost 20% from 2019 to 2020 um, just by doing that one simple trick. And what really stands out to me about Bumble is just how much it's been an empowerment app. It's in the numbers of about 46% of, uh, there are about 46% women on the app opposed to men as where you can see 28% on Tinder, uh, which shows that women generally, generally enjoy this app much more. Um, I think they have a lot of room to grow and, I think one of the last things I'll conclude with is they're doing a lot of interesting things. Um, a lot of these uh, dating apps kind of focus just on giving some premium features, uh, maybe more swipes, but don't really go beyond that. With Bumble, uh, they're making much more money per user, but they're also exploring other parts of the business, like the Bumble Cafe or growing a venture capital fund. And these are some really engaging opportunities for uh, singles, such as myself, to go in and meet um, new people and. Bumble provides a way to facilitate that in person.
0: Well, I like that idea, you know, and between Tesla and Bumble, two very different businesses, but but one thing they certainly have in common, uh, they're both businesses that are really focused on the direction in which the world is headed, right? I, th- I think this is, this is going to be the way that these things are being done in the future for some time to come. And so it's encouraging to see you guys pitching businesses that uh, are, are playing a role in shaping how, how the future is going to look both in transportation uh, and social interactions. So, so really great pitches. Again, I was, I was really proud to see you guys uh, do so well, looking forward to your second pitches. Uh, but I think that's going to do it for us this week, guys. Zane, Graham, thanks so much again for joining us this week. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you. And remember, folks, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at IndustryFocus at Fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about or The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks as always to Tim Sparks for putting the show together for us. I'm Jason Moser, thanks for listening and we'll see you next week.